welcome to the Good Complex, this space that we have where we can kind of set aside uh, what polarizes our culture and have real conversations, even with people who may not agree with us, but we agree on the common good. Uh, Often in the Good Complex, we also have the opportunity to spotlight tremendous good that's being done or maybe even how uh, someone is helping people flourish in life. Uh, the way uh, we believe that we were meant to do so. And and today is a a great example of that conversation. But before we dive into our topic today, um, this is, uh, Hillary, you've you've hosted, I've hosted, this is our first time to host together. I'm so excited, yeah. It is exciting, yeah, to be together. So um, I just came back from Colorado. I did a sabbatical. I I came back with this really big beard. (laughs) It was an epic beard. Uh, I mean, the beard had its own zip code. It was really, uh, you can grow a good beard. I had snacks in there, all kinds of stuff. And uh, and I was going to keep it, but I chickened out. Yeah. It just, it started to feel like this yeah. animal on my face or you something. You know, I feel like it adds a lot of wisdom to a man's face. Yeah. And you can kind of like stroke your beard when you're yeah, thinking and all that. I know. But I'm, I know, having been married to a man that often grows a beard, mm-hmm. as a woman sometimes, unless it gets to, I mean, yours may have gotten to that real soft face, but after a while, you, you're you kind of ready for it to shave <laughs> off. So, yeah. so your wife may have had a hand in that. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm used to looking even dumber than I am. I, I did. It helped with the wisdom, but I'm just back to stupid. So that I, I'll, I'll uh. stay with it. Um, so today our topic is, is, is really about having, uh, moving to sobriety. Yes. And having a healthy relationship, uh, and uh, I mean, with alcohol in our culture is not an easy thing to do. And, right. And alcoholism, I mean, I was just reading a little bit about it. I didn't realize it was the third largest, third leading cause of death yeah. is alcohol-related deaths, 88,000 a year. Yep. Um, of course, many, many millions of people struggle with uh, addiction. And um, and even I think people who don't struggle with addiction, it, you know, it's just so easy to have an unhealthy, uh, unhealthy use of alcohol. Oh man, yes. I need a drink. I need yes. A, and uh, so the the point of this isn't alcohol is bad or something. It just, right. but addiction is, and yeah. and it's a struggle. And and how can we help move from struggle to flourishing as part of the conversations we talk about. Right. Um, and. Uh, that's what you're up to. Yeah, we're excited because Irvin Lee is here. Irvin, you are amazing. You're an author. You're a speaker. You're a businessman, an entrepreneur, all of these things. Yeah. But you're also someone who has a great deal of knowledge about having a healthy or unhealthy relationship with yes. alcohol. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your story because I think it's going to help a lot of people kind of figure out, do they have a problem how do you recognize if you have a problem or someone yeah. in your life has a problem and what you can do about it? Okay. Well, let me start by just saying thank you for having me. And the relationship with alcohol is always an interesting one, right? And you talked about me having been an entrepreneur. So full disclosure, I used to be in the alcohol industry. And at one point, we owned seven liquor stores. So at a point, I had what I would call a fairly healthy relationship with alcohol. But what happened was over time, that relationship, because of my genetics, which I didn't know a lot about, Mm. and this is the thing I tell people, is always know your family history. Mm. Know your genetics. 60% of alcoholism comes from your genetics. So if you've had a father, a grandparent or something, that's when I tell people, 
you should monitor your your alcohol intake and how much you drink. But more importantly, try to realize how it affects your body. One thing, I knew that I had a problem with alcohol from the first time I had it. The first drink I had was 12 years old. Wow. Yeah, we had a family reunion. If you've ever been to a black person family reunion, it's a party. They're having a good time. So we stole some beer. Well, my friends drank it and they were okay. Not me. Hmm. I first of all, I drank to excess. I drank to the point. So the I first had, time you drank. First time I had, it affected me different. My friends had a couple, got some giggles and laughs. I kept drinking. I drank to the point where I was throwing up and they had to tell my grandmother, my great grandmother who raised me, was not very happy. And I remember her saying to me, she called me son. She said, Son, you shouldn't drink. And even at an early age, that stuck with me and I was like well why is she saying that and as I would go on through life I noticed that my friends could have one or two drinks but I could I always was drinking faster and I was always drinking more and the other telltale sign is you may have a problem with alcohol is when you count your drinks when you go out I would be on a count I would say okay tonight when you go out you're only going to have three drinks, then you're going to go to beer, and then you're going to drink water. Well, what I'm going to call a normal drinker doesn't plan. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. no drinking plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and to me, you're, so I would start with what does my genetics say? What does my family history say? How does it affect me? And do I drink it because I want a glass of wine or I want a beer to enjoy it? Or am I drinking it for the effect? I tell people, I really didn't like the taste of alcohol, but I love the effect that it gave me. Because once I got that alcohol in my system, I felt whole. I felt complete. It took away the fear. It took away the running off of the mind, all the thoughts. It just kind of calmed me down. I always wondered that when I was in college, I had a friend that, would just keep ordering drinks and keep ordering yep. drinks. And I couldn't wrap my mind around it because I thought if we were ordering like Diet Coke, she'd maybe have two and that yep. would be it and she wouldn't want any more. Yep. But for whatever reason, if it's a margarita or something like that, she would just keep going and keep going and keep going. And I thought, gosh, I, I just couldn't understand it because I was like, yeah. if it was any other drink, she right. wouldn't want any more. But I'm sure it was just wanting that effect. Wow, I, I can laugh because that's how I was, right? My parents and my friends would always say, hey, you need to pace yourself. And in my mind, I was thinking, why would one have a drink and not get drunk? I thought that alcohol, the purpose of it was to get drunk because the more I had the, the better I, I, I felt, I call it the Superman kind of complex. I felt more confident. Mm -hmm. I felt like, man, I could run through a wall. I could do anything, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens with it over time is you need more and you need more. But there's a stigma around alcoholism, but we have to realize what alcoholism is. It is a disease. So when I have a drink versus when you guys have a drink, if you drink is it sets off an allergy in my body, a craving that it just says more and more and more. And I cannot control that. The only way to control it for me is to not have a drink. Right. So how would you just would you say that's 
it's more than physical. I mean, you said because yes. you said it makes me feel whole. Like it made me feel yeah. whole. Like yeah. I didn't feel whole. Yeah. If I if I wasn't not just drinking but drunk or the yes. effects. I, I drinking enough. So talk about that a little bit, like, yeah, because uh, that's probably a tell too, right? When yeah. you don't feel like yourself if you're not in that situation. But yeah, if, if you agree with me, we're three parts, right? Our body, our soul, and our spirit. Well, the the challenge with us who suffer from addiction is we start off in a really bad place in our soul. We have this. I'm gonna call it just fear. We're dominated by fear and wanting to be accepted by others. And that's where it starts. I always, I remember being a kid and just feeling like I never really felt like I fit in anywhere. Like, where's my place in life? I was always worried, am I dressed right? Am I saying the right thing? This is from the time I was like a child, right? So, so you've got this issue and you've got all these fears. Like it says in the AA book that we're controlled by a hundred different forms of fear. And you're just, you're born that way. We're born different. And when you take that first drink, you realize like, oh man, my mind stops racing. Mm. Oh man, I don't really care what people think about me anymore. Mm-hmm. You it's it's that wholeness, that completeness that we can sometimes we find when you meet your wife or you, the way you love your mother. It it's just man, the, and the love affair with alcohol starts immediately from the time I was twelve. I kept saying to myself, anytime I was afraid, I didn't feel like I fit in. I was like, I bet if I have a drink, all of this goes away, mm. and that's the lie that mm-hmm. you begin to tell yourself. What do you think kind of exacerbated your addiction? Was it the environment that you put yourself in mm-hmm. um, when you were working in the alcohol distribution business or whatever? Yeah. Was it kind of having those meetings? What was it that you think kind of tipped it to a place where you were no longer in a healthy territory? Stress and no coping mechanisms besides alcohol. And I'm going to say it to you this way, and this is just the truth. It became my God with a little G. I didn't feel good. I have a drink. My wife, we're not getting along. I go have a drink. Um, Stress at work. And remember, I'm in the alcohol industry, so we could start drinking at noon. We go, Mm. it was okay. So it was the people, places, thing element that lined up and then that that soul my mind my will and emotions when stress came I didn't know how to deal I had no coping mechanisms so my coping mechanism was hey I run down to the bar I'll have two drinks and then I can deal with this problem well two becomes three three becomes four and it just starts to overwhelm you to where it is your God with a little g Anything you want to do, you consult it. You know, my mind when I got up in the morning was like, okay, I can start drinking at noon. How do I make it to noon, right? And then noon became 11. Then noon became 9. And then it became 8. And then right before when I, I, I call it the pit where I was just deep down and and the sure sign that you are, are an alcoholic and you have a problem is when you lose hope. I have a picture that I took um, at the driver's license place, 
And I can look at that now and I said, man, that guy, he had no hope. I had no life in my eyes. And I remember just saying, man, I just want out of here because I can't, I could not do life anymore. I didn't know how. When would you say most people, I mean, would you say that's when most people realize they have a problem? Or do you think most people even realize they have a problem? Well, the, the I'll tell you the first sign of, I knew I had a problem and I knew I was in trouble when I was always on the internet taking the alcohol quiz, 10 questions. <laughs> and I'd go, well, shoot, man, I only got seven out of 10. That's a C. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I am not an yeah. alcoholic. Then the next day I'd get on there and take it again or I'd take a different one. Then I'm going, oh, man, I'm really, because you can't, you, you, one of the signs too is that you lie to yourself, you lie to others, and you abuse yourself and you abuse others, right? The, the, I thought that my alcoholism only affected me. That's a lie. There was so much collateral damage. I, you know, I've been sober for years. I'm still cleaning up the collateral damage, you know, for my marriage, for my life. So when you start surfing the internet and you start seeing, am I an alcoholic? That's probably a sign, the counting of the drinks, the surfing of the Internet. And then when you start to black out and your friends have to fill in the night for you. Yeah. Those are that's some sc signs. That's scary. It's yeah. scary. Yeah. And, and you wake up places. You wake up places and it, I just am forthright. You wake up places with people um, that shouldn't be with that aren't your wife. And, you know, in my situation, and you're sitting there saying, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. That's a sign, man. But, you know, we tend to know things in our soul, but we will dismiss them and we will lie to ourselves. I kept saying, well, brother, you know, you gonna get it together tomorrow. And just tomorrow, just start drinking at one, not 12. And don't have, you know, 24 beers. Just have 12 beers, right? Well, I want to you know, come back around to your, you know, how you decided, okay, I've got a problem. Like what I think was giving me life is taking my life away, yep. you know, and you, and you got to that place. But, but I think we all probably know people, maybe ourselves too, yep. but be like, man, I, I would love to be a helpful friend. I'm sure people were speaking into your life oh, until yeah. you got to that bottom and yep. you made that decision. So I'm sure some people were very helpful. Some people were not very helpful. Yep. So what, what's the difference? Like how, how could people come alongside? The love factor. It, you know, love is such a powerful tool. It's comforting, but yet love is convicting. It's convicting. And I remember I had a six-month period where I fell into my descent, right? Just crashing and burning. And certainly... I did not deserve love, but love doesn't have to be deserved. And I remember that no one for a six month period ever said, hey, bro, we love you. We know you are coming out of this thing. Now, mind you, I'm drinking all day, every day. I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. I'm not going to work. I'm driving my wife crazy. I'm not talking to my. So I didn't deserve it. Mm -hmm. But love, true love doesn't have to be deserved so uh, anyone dealing with anyone on any addiction on any level tell them you love them and that you're gonna make it 
That's what I needed to hear. And the reason I got sober was when I got to rehab, I went to rehab for 31 days. Uh, the first thing they said to me is that, you know, we love you. We love you. And we're going to get you better. Man, I was like, did you just say what I've been waiting to hear? They said we, I was like, man. And guess what? My my chest kind of poked out a little bit, and I'm like, well, maybe I can make it, but I don't know how I'm gonna make it one minute without a drink, right? So, so love is so so powerful. Yeah. Love and a quick word of encouragement don't have all the answers, but the one thing I will say to everyone: don't tell the person who's in addiction or alcoholism what they need to do. Don't tell them they need to stop drinking. They already know that. What's the optics of that? Don't tell them that without some optics and some love. First of all, start with the love and then perhaps then you slide optics in there. Hey, I know a good rehab center. Mm -hmm. Hey, I know a guy. Start mm -hmm. with a guy that, or a young lady that they could talk to. Mm -hmm. Because when I was in my addiction, I didn't want to hear from anybody who wasn't an alcoholic. Right. I walked in to see my counselor. He has suit and tie. He looks like he's never had a drink in his life. And I'm like, man, this dude, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I just turned and I'm looking away like, man, I'm not even into you. And then he said to me, you have a problem with me. I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, what's the problem? I said, because, man, you look like you've never done anything wrong in your life. He said, I'm a, I was such a bad alcoholic that my daughter didn't speak to me for 12 years. I have 48 years of sobriety. I said, yep, let's go. You can help me. Let's get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. get it. You, you can relate. You see what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Well, I love that you're saying to kind of respond to people that are struggling or kind of on that descent with love because I think our natural tendency when we see people in our minds screwing up mm -hmm. is to kind of have a I told you so attitude yeah. and that you're right that never helps anybody no we we get it confused we get the disease confused with the person's willpower why I, I can't tell you how many times I heard this why can't you just stop yeah if I could, if I had it within myself, I would have. I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I did everything that a man could do to stop, and I realized I could not stop by myself. I was such a bad alcoholic that I needed rehab. You know, some people go to AA and they could get better. I was way past that. You know, at that point, I, I just was like, hey, man, I, I just want out of here, right? And I'm I'm going to... I'm going to step and I'm going to tell you a story. And this is the truth. Um, I'm laying in bed and I say to my God, I say to Christ, I said, you know, I give up. I, I, I just need to get out of here. Just, you know, give me death. And he said, I don't give death. I give life. Get up. Mm. Right. And this is not a religious thing. This just my truth right yeah. and i heard that mm -hmm. and i said you know you talking about a guy at that point in my life i wasn't really walking with anybody i was the god alcohol was my god he's like I, so that that was love that was love from my god mm -hmm. saying hey man we can get out of here now that was just enough to get me to rehab and then you know so you you went to rehab you yeah. had a relationship with God that yep. obviously you leaned on. Yep. Is do you th is it possible for people who are addicted to get out of addiction on their own? 
Rarely. I, I am going to say that I have, and I know a lot of people, because when I first got out, I'd go to five AA groups a day. So I know lots of recovered uh, alcoholics and people in recovery. I probably know four that I can say that that's their story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were created for fellowship. And the thing I, and this is going to sound crazy, but I'm going to say it anyway. One of the best times I've had in my life was those 31 days I spent in rehab. One of the best and the greatest times of my life was in rehab. Because, see, what we do in the real world, we say, I'll say, Jeff, how are you? You'll say, good. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't say that in rehab. Yeah. How are you good? <laughs> right. How are you good? You lost your wife, your, your house. Your How's it good? So they get real. So if I said to someone in rehab, hey, man, how are you doing today? They may start crying. They may need a hug. They probably just got divorce papers. It was it was so real. And you got to remember, with alcoholics, we're kind of fake. We're chameleons. So we kind of tell you what we think you want to hear. We In there, they strip you down. It, it, it's just you got to be real. I had to... I think I went 10 years without looking myself in the mirror, in the eyes, until I got to rehab. Wow. 10 years, because I knew that I wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And I had a problem that needed to be addressed. And when you sit in that mirror and you look yourself in your own eyes, and I know when I got to rehab, and I was like, you're in, you're in bad shape, fella. You're in bad shape here. So did you check yourself into rehab? Did you get to a place like, <laughs> I'm going to rehab, if this is my decision, I'm, you know. Oh, well, well I, I told you about the, the divine intervention, then my dad called, then my wife said, so I agree. Now, this is why we started uh, our ministry, is, okay, I agree. So my wife says, I'm going to find your rehab. It takes her 48 hours. If anyone knows anything about alcoholism, you could die from withdrawals. So while my wife is working, trying to corral me because in our house we had a bar and we used to own liquor stores. So I had plenty of alcohol. So I said in my drunken state, I'm going to go to rehab. That means I can never have alcohol again. I need to drink all the alcohol I can. So I'm upstairs. <laughs> if you know sizes, I got a half gallon just going to the head, right? Half gallon. Half gallon. <laughs> half gallon. She's trying to control me. So for 48 hours, that was her world. Drunk crazy man, drinking half gallons of vodka, and I can't find a rehab center. Church don't know. No one knew what to do with this drunk guy. So finally, she gets to a rehab center. This is going to blow your mind. It's five miles from our house. You're kidding. So when I got sober and I got out, I said, I never want another alcoholic and his wife to go through 48 hours of trying to get connected to all the resources that I, how do I not know that there's a rehab that I need to go to that's five miles from my house that I passed by when I was going to bars. I just didn't know it was there. Right. So we have to remove the stigma of addiction and alcoholism. Right. I could walk into any church here in Dallas and say, I cheated on my wife. Tons of people hug me. We can help you. Oh, da, da. Let you walk in and say you're alcoholic. It's kind of like there's a little bit of a stigma. Don't say that you are on some of the other stuff that's out there. See, it goes back to that love again. We have to be able to say, hey, 
we got you. We got you. We won't have all the answers, but we're going to find you some help, right? And and that is, that's what I'm about, is bringing the awareness around alcoholism. It's a disease. It's mm-hmm. not anything the parent or the grandparent or the husband or the wife has done. It's, it's a disease. So how long, and everybody's journey when they're they're trying to become sober is different. How long did it take you to get to a place where you felt like I'm I'm clean and sober? Um, that that is a very good question. I'm going to say about two years, where I had my sea legs is what I where I was on the firm foundation and I was like I can go anywhere. Um, my first six months, I went to five AA meetings a day. I did outpatient. I changed people, places, and things. And let me tell you something. A lot of people have been in my life since I was five, six years old. The places I had gone, I had changed all that. And it was very lonely. And that's where people, the first, I'm going to say, the first 24 months is where people get derailed. Because we want to go back to what was comfortable. I could no longer be in that environment and be sober. I had to give all that up. So the most important thing to your sobriety is that first 24 months and as quick as possible, change your people, places, and things, and then find you a rhythm of living. Uh, I I call it my rhythm of recovery, right? And once once I got that, after two years, I felt like I could go anywhere. I worked in our liquor stores. I'd go to big liquor conventions in Vegas, but I had a rhythm of living, right? And I had I had an established, first of all, I had shown people through my actions that I was serious about not drinking, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I told, I remember going to my first AA meeting, a lady pulls me into the kitchen and says, don't tell anybody that you went to rehab and don't tell anybody that you're an alcoholic. And I said, yeah, that sounds right. Then I said, no, that doesn't sound right. So yeah. I did the opposite of that. I told everybody, everybody. And I said, under no circumstances, even if I ask you, are you ever to give me a drink? And that took the pressure off, right? Mm-hmm. I told all the people in the liquor business. I told all of our reps. I, it took the burden off me of having people just saying, well, just have one. Just have one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so. So you've been sober how many years? Uh, man, I have a, a what we call a birthday coming up April fourteenth, and that'll give me six years. Six years. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's so awesome. So now you know you're six years sober. You know yeah. all the problems it caused, and yeah. relationships in your own life and your own soul, all that. Yeah. So how much? Like right now. Yeah. I, I, there's got to be a part of you, I guess, that is still susceptible to drinking, but I'm sure there's a part of you like. I never want to do that. I, I mean, I'm so, yeah, I don't, what, what goes on in your head? <laughs> uh, like, how, uh, yeah. I, well, remember, so when I got out, we had the liquor store. So I was around liquor uh, up until about a month ago when we sold and divested other stores that we had. So I was around it all the time. And in that time, I will tell you, I had, let's say over six years, four, what I would call, temptations right uh, real quick I I had to go to out of town to um, a meeting and I forgot my laptop at the store this was on a Sunday and I said um, 
I go in and I go to get it and I hear a voice that says, hey, why don't you grab six mini bottles and take them with you? And I'm like, no, nah, that's a bad, that's a, that's a bad, bad idea. And there was probably once when I was, a few times I was in a beer cooler by myself and I hear huh. that voice mm-hmm. says, you could grab a beer, no one will know. So, but again, what do I have now by going to rehab? I have coping mm-hmm. skills and I have the ability to fight that, what, what I'm going to say, that, that inner desire that lays dormant. Right. And this is the thing that most recovered alcoholics or anyone in recovery will tell you that it lays dormant. You know, it's there. Like I said, I have a healing. It's just a daily healing, but it's there. And every now and then it may wait a year and it'll see if it can get you. And that's why we have to walk in such, you know, awareness and, and faith. So how do you deal with it when you go to events or birthday parties and because there are so many things I was just telling the guys before we started recording today I have a real issue with sugar that's my thing like I have a hard time with sugar (laughs) and every time I try to cut way back it's somebody's birthday I'll go to an event where it's nothing but desserts it's really hard to say no when it's right there in front of you all the time and people are shoving it at you you know and it's it's just hard to constantly say no. Yeah. So what's what's a way that you deal with that? Because alcohol is everywhere, and a lot of times it's, it's free. It's, it is out. it is so free. Well, I I tell everybody, first of all, so they know why I'm not drinking. You got to take that off the table. So that way people aren't constantly pushing it on you. And then what I realize is I was used to always having a drink in my hand. So when I go places, if I go to barbecues, cookouts, I bring my own cooler with my own sparkling water so that I always have something in my hand, right? So my body isn't saying, where's the drink? Where's the drink? So I have, I bring my own water and I plan what I'm going to eat. I plan what I'm going to drink. I either bring it or it's there. And then at any point where I feel like this is just getting out of hand, I leave. I leave. And I am very prayerful about the places I go, right? And then I listen to the internal voice that says to me, it's time for you to go, right? And like I said, I can go. I feel now, and it took me two plus years where I felt like I can go anywhere. I go to birthday parties. I've been to Vegas. I do all that. But I'm also making sure my spiritual disciplines are in place. I'm also functioning and living according to my rhythm of living for my sobriety right and that that's how i do it that's great so i don't know if chick-fil-a is an addiction but (laughs) that would be mine that's okay yeah six day a week chick-fil-a guys yeah it's tough yeah thank goodness at least on sunday you don't have to worry about it that's right it's it's still close it's close for now get the shakes on sunday yeah uh, but i do yeah Yeah. so you know you you're you're in your own sobriety journey Mm -hmm. um but now you are you know you're now you're doing all this stuff to help others on their sobriety journey yeah um and that's just a whole new chapter yeah. in your life, I suppose. That yeah. now you're—it's one of the ways that good comes out of yeah. bad, right? Is yeah. that we then have the ability, like the guy you said. I mean, I, I, I can't help 
I'm, I, I, I'm probably not going to be that helpful for somebody going through alcohol addiction, Chick-fil-A addiction, maybe. I'm <laughs> right. But, right. But right. And, and, and so, you know, that's sort of become part of your calling, right? Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. It, it's very interesting because innately I'm most likely an introvert and I'm shy. And it is only through going through all of that that I realized that my testimony wasn't for me. And to be honest with you, I try to think back on the things I went through. And I never want another person to go through what I went through. So I want to, one, share my testimony, and then I want to help them. Because... One of the things that I realized when I got sober was, man, this seems like a pretty boring life. I got to go to these AA meetings. I got to, I can't drink. So you start, your mindset is about what you can't do. So you have to flip that. I get to do everything you guys can do, except I just can't have alcohol. Yeah. When you look at it like that, it's like, that's a whole new world. So I have new interests. I have new friends, but I'm working with people who were, where I was at, right? And they can't say, well, like I said, well, you don't understand. Well, yes, I do. You didn't do, yeah, I probably did that too. So there is there is fellowship. And to be honest with you, fellowshipping and helping and running our ministry is another um, pillar in my recovery, right? Because that fellowship, anyone who's out there trying to do life by themselves and trying to heal them of any addiction by yourself, I, the odds of that happening are just not great. Well, I love that you've even written a book Yeah, yeah. about this experience, and it's got some really helpful just words of wisdom yeah. in it. Tell me a little bit about the book. Well, I, I would, uh, uh, this book I love called The Holy Bible, I would read that, and then I would write down the, the revelations that I would get, right? Because I threw myself into, I had to read, to, to get my mind. My mind was so just wrapped up in alcoholism and fear and doubt. So I would read the Bible and then I would write down the words that I would get or the revelations. And I just turned it into a book. And I love the book, especially for those who suffer from addiction, is because we have a hard time focusing, right? And, and it, it's almost like we have a thought and then we chase another thought. Our mind has been in this space of fear, wondering, and when can we have our alcohol, right? So that was a way for me to, to combat that and then take the key learnings that I was getting from reading the Holy Bible and then be able to share that out, but share it in a way that addicts and alcoholics could digest it because it's not written in, in long form. That's so smart. Yeah, I'm looking forward to using that for, you know, for me, but also for people yeah. who are dealing with different forms of addiction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, so what's next for you? Because you're you're <laughs> writing books, you have yeah. multiple books, um, yeah. but you also, you have your own podcast, right? Yeah, we, we do. We we started out on with the radio show and then we got into podcasting as well. And our show's called From Beer to the Bible, um, which I got to tell the story. So I'm on a plane one day. And uh, I used to be in corporate America, so I flew first class a lot. And I'm sitting next to this little old lady, man, church lady, little old church lady. And here's this guy. I'm just getting drunk. 
uh, we got about a three hour flight and the man I'm pounding. She says nothing to be the whole flight. We get ready to go get off the plane. She grabs me and she takes my drink napkin and she says, you're going to write this book called From Beer to the Bible. You're going to have a ministry and God's going to use you mightily. And I'm like, wow. lady, first of all, I'm drunk. I don't <laughs> I'm not even with the Lord like that because it really was it. But something inside said take the napkin and keep it and i kept it all those years and i remember that she gave me that and that's the name of wow. uh, our podcast from beer to the bible that's the book from beer to the bible if you look at it i was what in the liquor industry so i went from beer to now i love the lord and we run a ministry that helps those who suffer from drug and alcohol addiction so i went from beer to the Bible, to the Lord. Yeah, I, I, I listened to some of the podcasts. Yeah. And, um, and I was really struck by how authentic and helpful it is. I mean, I, you know, you, you were just, it was just very real talk. There yeah. was no, no flowery anything. Just, yeah. just talking <laughs> like it is, you know, it's super helpful and, uh, and very real, very raw. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. Thank you. You know, and, and so what would what would you say to someone that might be listening who is sort of in that mode of I may have a problem yeah. or and probably they know they have a problem. Yeah. But, you know, they're in that 10, you know, you talk about the checklist, yeah. you know, they get seven <laughs> of them or five yeah. or eight or whatever. And they're trying to figure it out and or yeah. maybe they're feeling a little hopeless. I don't know where, yeah. you know, anywhere from denial to yeah. hopelessness who's struggling, what, what would you, what would be your word for them? Well, the, the first word is, I love you. Um, reach out. You can reach out to us directly. We will put you in touch with the help that you need. The second thing is, and this is tough, but it's real. Hold yourself accountable. Hold yourself accountable, right? When I got to rehab, I blamed everybody. I was, I was sitting talking to this guy, and I said, it's my wife, it's the, uh, my dad. I was blaming everybody, right? And the guy turns to me, and I actually named our ministry after him. And he says to me, shut up. Shut up and take some accountability. Now, where I'm from, that's a fight. <laughs> just, <Yeah. laughs> you just tell the grown man, shut up, we got the time, yeah. we got to fight. But I looked at him, and I said, he's right, right? And... The, the, the thing that I would say is, remember, there's a good plan for your life. Um, you're here for a reason, and you have hope because you can hear my testimony, and you can listen to countless testimonies of others. And what I want them to know, I, don't, I, I really don't care what you've done. I don't care what you do. You can recover it doesn't, it's not about I'm this, I'm that, where you are, how much money you got, how much, none of that matters. If you get with us and you get with a program and allow us to lead you, to guide you and to counsel you, you can get sober. The The thing that kept me, there was a couple of things that kept me in my addiction the longest was, man, when you lose hope, it's that, it's that hope. It's like, I just kind of lost hope, right? You have hope. And anyone listening, you're listening, and we're covering this topic for a reason. Here's your hope. Mm. Here's your hope. Mm -hmm. 
You've got an amazing story. I love that you are using all the good that's come of your story to help other people find the good in their lives. So thank you for taking time to just be here today and for putting out those kinds of resources and having a place where people can go and, and saying there are people out there who love you. Yeah. Uh, that feels good to hear. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just to know somebody out there says you're valuable and you're, you're worth saving. So Irvin Lee, thank you so much. Well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah. I appreciate you. May God bless you. You too. All right, so don't forget to like, subscribe, follow us, tell people about the podcast because we love putting more good out there in the world. So I'm glad that Jeff is back with us. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's fun doing this it with is, you. Yes, yeah. this has been yeah. great. So we'll have another episode soon. So come back and join us. But until then, get out there and make it good. <laughs> <laughs>